This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 284 of the Living Encyclopediac of Unarguable Truth. That is The Bugle. This is Andy Zaltzman speaking. Hello. All right, don't reply. Please yourselves. And joining me from across the big pond, it's the man who puts the hard now I see into NYC, the I knew you're silly into New York City. It's the King Stilton in the satirical cheese shop, shop with a hint of blue. It's John Oliver. <laughs> Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Uh, Andy, yesterday uh, I had myself uh, a bit of a roller coaster of emotions. I think I mentioned around a year ago that there was a billboard of my face just outside my office window and just how weird that felt. Um, well, I haven't mentioned it, but fortunately it has been there all year. I can. <laughs> I can only assume unsettling and unnerving traffic of pedestrians as much as it has been unsettling and unnerving me. Well, yesterday afternoon, I saw workmen in the morning starting to pull it down, and I cannot even describe to you, Andy, the feeling of utter relief that I experienced. (laughs) That level of relief was put in sharp contrast, however, by the subsequent feeling of complete horror as I saw them unfurling a new billboard of my face (laughs) announcing the upcoming season. (laughs) I have a 12-year... 12-month aged version of my face <laughs> re-peering at me through my office window, Andy. Right. Oh, uh, happens, yeah. happens to everyone it's a, at some point. It's a point. little strange. No one wants it. That's, <laughs> that's my argument. No one wants it. Definitely no one needs it. Right. Uh, apart from your PR team. They, well, they want it. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Uh, it was my, um, my, my daughter's birthday last weekend, as I mentioned uh, on last week's show. And for her uh, party... Uh, we took um, her and her cousins to this uh, indoor climbing place where you can uh, do climbing up walls. And uh, it was uh, mostly children there. There was another birthday party there with about 20 kids, plus uh, uh, <laughs> the four Zoltzman children and parents. Mm-hmm. And out of those approximately 30-odd people, I can conclusively say I was by far the worst climber there. And I think it was a new psychological low for me, John, when I was about four feet off the ground struggling to get up a climb of minimal difficulty. And I looked down to see a five-year-old child managing to squeeze confusion, disgust and pity into the same small face. Gave me a new respect for Hillary and Tensing. That is, uh, that's Darwinian, Andy. You've just lost the respect of your children. <laughs> uh, this is Matilda be- now knows she can technically kill you. <laughs> Uh, this is Bugle 284. That's the same number of bugles as the average number of curled-up worms found in industrial cans of spaghetti hoops. And also the number of volumes in the uh, autobiography of uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. Uh, for some reason, he uh, decided to issue them as um, children's board books. Um, this is the Bugle for the week ending, Friday the 16th of January. As we record, Thursday the 15th, which means, John, it is exactly... 256 years since the British Museum opened on the 15th of January 1759. Uh, one day later, they dropped the words of stolen goods from the, uh, from the title. <laughs> uh, the 16th of January 1920, 95 years ago, the first ever League of Nations meeting, they passed their first resolution. No more massive global conflicts for at least 20 years. They came 
so very close to achieving that. Uh, Wednesday the 14th was the 86th anniversary of the day in 1929 when Inayatullah Khan became king of Afghanistan. And Sunday the 17th will be the 86th anniversary of the day, also in 1929, when Inayatullah Khan decided to take a permanent rain check on being king of Afghanistan. He abdicated after three days, John. Three. That tells you something about Afghanistan, that you could become king, look at it, basically over a long weekend and say, not my thing. Definitely <laughs> not my thing. And probably a good move. The guy who replaced him, executed by firing squad nine months later. The guy who replaced him, assassinated four years after that. Uh, Monday the 19th will be the 80th anniversary of the same date in 1935, which was the day that briefs were first sold by Coopers in Chicago. A revolution <laughs> In underwear uh, in 1935. Now, you might think that is a bit of an odd way to respond to the rise of Nazi Germany, but, but <laughs> there you go. Clearly, they had a discussion. Germany's swinging hard right. Cripes, we better design some underwear that stops testicles from bubbling about. Good call, that'll show them. What's the German word for genital chafing? Breif. OK, we'll name it after that. How do you spell it? B-R-I-E-F. Breif. OK, Breifs it is. Print off some labels. Let's get down to business. Previously, men's underwear had consisted of one or more of the following. Worn 24 hours a day for at least a week at a time. Hessian micro trousers. Very itchy. The Hessian, which explained why when you see old film footage, everyone walks really, really quickly. Um, cast iron crotch greaves, uh, basically medieval armour adapted for the uniquely contoured male groin. Two pairs of trousers, double up just to make sure. The will of God, the fact that the decline in religious belief coincided with the invention of uh, modern underpants cannot possibly be coincidence. Um, uh, hydrogen nut balloons, uh, they were quite popular for a while uh, to keep the, uh, the balls elevated during daily business, but a bit of a fire risk, decline in popularity, in part due to the invention of the briefs, also in part due to the Hindenburg disaster two years later, and uh, the other <laughs> alternative, women's panties. But the invention of the briefs offered in a new era of genitular comfort for the gentleman's poorly designed scrumple dunkers, and to commemorate arguably the greatest invention of the 20th century, we have delved around in the Bugle archives to find the audio recording of the then British Prime Minister Ramsay MacDonald sitting down at Prime Minister's questions in Parliament the week that he first wore briefs. Now compare this with him doing the same thing the week before briefs went on sale. Big difference. That was a, a real step forward for for men, particularly men with uh, Ramsay McDonald's rare condition. Top story this week: Charlie Hebdo have done it again. And look, congratulations, terrorists. If you intended one of the side effects of your nonsensical attack last week to temporarily save the print industry, then job well done. Because. The new edition of Charlie Hebdo came out yesterday, and uh, even after increasing the print order from the regular 40,000 to a million copies, then increasing that order to 3 million, they sold out in the early hours of the morning and are printing at least 2 million copies more. <laughs> in perhaps the least surprising cover appearance in magazine history, the Prophet Muhammad made an appearance on the front of the magazine. And the only thing you do not want the magazine industry to take away from this, Andy, is the idea that the Prophet Muhammad can really <laughs> shift units. You don't want Vogue or Vanity Fair to suddenly think that he is the new Beyonce. Just put him on the cover and you're guaranteed to sell out. This, this should be a, a one-off in a specific area for a while, probably. <laughs> I, I can only imagine how difficult the week it must have been. 
in the uh, Charlie Hebdo offices. Their lawyer, Richard Malka, Richard Malka uh, earlier in the week revealed that, uh, that uh, the Prophet Muhammad would be on the cover, saying, we will not give in, otherwise all this won't have meant anything. It's complicated because we have to manage the future, the funerals that will take place all this week, but it's moving forward and will be completed this evening. It's an act of life, of survival. Although my favourite response, Andy, of all the Charlie Hebdo cartoonists uh, this week was from Luz, one of their cartoonists who survived and who, in fact, drew the front cover. Uh, he was asked whether he had been moved by the gigantic Solidarity March in Paris, and he said that actually his favourite moment was when a pigeon dropping landed on French Prime Minister Francois Hollande's shoulder <laughs> just as he was about to talk to him. He said, it made us laugh. It was the best joke he could have given us, which allowed us to escape the weight of emotion bearing down on us. And that is a classy move from that French pigeon, Andy. <laughs> I like to think that pigeon was perching on one of the gargoyles at Notre Dame, looking down at the thousands and thousands of defiant, grieving people, thinking, what can I do? What can I do to sh show my solidarity with this cause, with Charlie Hebdo? Oh, I know, I'll go and take a shit on the Prime Minister. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Although, if you look at the pictures, you can, in the dropping on Olon's uh, shoulder, uh, you can see the face of Moses. So, just a nasty tone <laughs> of anti-Semitism from that pigeon shit. <laughs> but this is the thing, John. I mean, was that cartoon... I'm not sure it it, it was genuinely of of Muhammad. It, to me, it just looked like a bearded man weeping a tear and saying "Tutte pardone." Uh, all is forgiven. Whether or not this bearded man does or doesn't look like Muhammad is anyone's guess, because there aren't really many authenticated pictures to compare it to, which is clearly part part of the issue. And my granny was the same; she hated having a picture taken. So, how do we know what he looked like? We know that Jesus was a white European with a ripping six-pack because he was painted as such by white Europeans only a millennium and a half later. So we know exactly <laughs> what he looked like from roughly contemporary sources. But we won't have to wait long to till we can finally clear this up and discover that Mohammed looked like a white European man as well. Uh, the massive unity march was very inspirational, although for a unity march there were a few incidents that made it not quite as unified as a uni unity march would ideally be. First, there was very little in the way of an American presence there, and while you can understand the president not being able to be there at such short notice, I don't know why Joe Biden was not there, Andy. I don't know what he was doing, but I guarantee it was less important <laughs> than being there. Also, the unity event was slightly de-unified by Israeli newspaper The Announcer, an ultra-Orthodox Jewish paper, and I mean turbo-Orthodox. <laughs> We're talking... Platinum Orthodox, this paper. We're so Orthodox that when they ran the famous photo of the world leaders uh, at the Paris March arm in arm, they edited major female politicians out of that photo. German Chancellor Angela Merkel, who was standing at the front, was airbrushed from being there, presumably due to her inadmissible chromosomes in such a situation. <laughs> and EU foreign policy chief uh, Federica Mogherini and uh, Mayor of Paris Anne Hidalgo were also disqualified from appearing in the march that they appeared in by failing to meet the you-must-have-at-least-one-penis standard. <laughs> and, and yet, the incredible well, thing... I, I don't know if it was that, that standard, John. I think you must have at least 0.95 of a penis. <laughs> 
And yet the incredible thing is that Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas was left in the photograph. And in a way, I guess that's a step forward, isn't it? <laughs> in a way. That's, that feels like it might be a positive move. Yeah, the, uh, this uh, newspaper, uh, Hamavasa, uh, I don't know if that, I've pronounced that right, um, the ultra-Orthodox, as you say, so ultra-Orthodox, in fact, that it basically doesn't have a sports section. Um, it, it photoshopped out Merkel. Now, as you say... An ultra-Orthodox Jewish paper editing out a German leader. You could just about understand that, given, you know, what what, what happened. Even though Merkel essentially represents an entirely different... I think the point's been made. But they did not crop out Fraulein Frosty because she's German. As you say, they cropped her out because she is a, a woman. Now, why would they do this? Uh, the editor, uh, Benjamin Lipkin, said that the newspaper is a family publication that must be suitable for all audiences, including young children. The eight-year-old cannot see what I don't want him to see, he told uh, Israel's Channel 10 television station. And what evidently he does not want the eight-year-old to see is female role models. Hugely successful, widely respected women who've earned their place in the higher echelons of public life. Because it simply cannot be a sexual thing. Do you have to edit out Merkel because she's simply too hot? I mean, she did dress a little risque in that black trouser suit and heavy overcoat under which she was completely (laughs) naked, apart from possibly some underwear. Filth, Merkel! Utter filth! Uh, Although, to be fair, the uh, European Union's uh, foreign policy chief, uh, Frederica Mogherini, who you mentioned, was also cropped out, but she was wearing thigh-high leather boots, one of Madonna's old pointy bras and bondage kit. What a day for your work clothes to be late back from the dry cleaners. But Merkel, if eight-year-old ultra-Orthodox Jewish boys are having their first crush on Angela Merkel, then, frankly, one, there are deeper issues to address, and B, that can only be a good thing for the world, John. When Jewish kids can healthily lust after a prominent 60-year-old German woman, we will be on a proper path to genuine global unity, building bridges through unattainable crushes. It's the way forward. After all, Britain started finally warming towards the French after the Napoleonic Wars, only when Bridget Bardo came on the scene 150 years later. Buglers, in case you're wondering what this strange knocking sound is in the background, uh, in central London at the moment, there's some fairly extensive uh, building works going on. And um, apparently in the building next door, these are particularly extensive right now. So uh, I'm sorry if this is affecting uh, your enjoyment of the podcast. If you like, uh, rather than imagining building works going on, you can imagine that we have a number of hostages uh, walled up in the studio who are asking to be let out. No, you can't come out. Uh, the editor said, uh, the editor did seem slightly aware of the ridiculousness of uh, the situation, said, true, a picture of Angela Merkel should not ruin the child. <laughs> what a sentence. <laughs> I am both glad and appalled that I live in a world where that sentence can be said. Oh, oh my God. I mean, uh, is that, <laughs> is that what goes, is that what passes for a compliment, Andy? <laughs> I mean, I just... Let's just say that uh, your appearance should not ruin a child, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> well, that's, that's an insult, isn't it? I mean, a picture of Merkel should not ruin a child, but can we guarantee that it will not ruin a child? I don't know, John. I've seen so many good kids go bad when they've seen pictures of high-achieving female politicians. I was at school with this one kid, uh, Terry, the smartest boy in school, lovely lad, top of the class, good at sport, polite, school record holder for underarm squelchies. Um... Uh, and uh, anyway, great kid, until uh, Karazan Aquino took power in the Philippines in 1986, and then overnight 
he was gone, just a, a lost, broken lunatic, unable to keep in his keep his junk in his trunks whenever the world news turned to the post-Marcos era in the Philippines. Sad to see. I've lost touch with him over the years. The last I heard, he had a job cleaning out the bins outside the Brazilian parliament, trying to catch glimpses of Dilma Rousseff. Terrible when that happens. Uh, all in all, this uh, newspaper, I believe, needs to take a long, long, hard ritual bath with itself. I know ultra-Orthodox religions tend to have very sensitive homogenous zones that can be aroused by the slightest hint of non-conformity. But let's call this what it is, John. Total bullshit. If you are a newspaper and you cannot bring yourself to print pictures of 50% of the world's population, maybe stop being a newspaper and instead become a publication that is more comfortable printing pictures only of men. For example, an ultra-Orthodox gay porn magazine. That is the future for this publication. That, that is the only philosophically consistent way for it to go. It might alienate even more of its core readers than a picture of a fully clothed Merkel at one of the least erotic events in French history, which, admittedly, is not the most competitive list. But still, this is the future, John. The presence of so many world leaders at the, uh, at the, uh, the march uh, in Paris was, in one way, a great show of global unity, and in another way, one of the greatest displays of concentrated hypocrisy in the history of grandstanding. And uh, this was detailed in particular by a British student, Daniel Wickham, on his uh, understandably stroppy Twitter feed, uh, pointed out, uh, um, for example, that uh, you know, Bahrain does not have the most uh, progressive attitude towards freedom of the press. Saudi Arabia is also there, a nation which is currently busy flogging a blogger. Uh, only 50 lashes, to be fair. You're, oh, sorry, 50 lashes at a time until he's done 1,000. Still, whilst they're doing that, they've also found uh, time to issue a fatwa against snowmen. Snowmen, John. That, that they've been haunting Saudi Arabia for too long. Those shamelessly overweight poster boys of Western decadence, um, and, uh, and many other names. Russia. Putin wasn't there himself. Probably busy flicking through his catalogue of Russian journalists to see which one he wanted quietened down for a bit this month. But there were many nations there, John, which are to press freedom what Jaws was to quiet days out at the beach. Short of having a representative of Boko Haram giving a speech saying this kind of thing is unacceptable, it was about as hypocritical as the world could have got. Uh, there was something of a uh, media kerfuffle in a teacup this week uh, when Stephen Emerson, uh, a self-diagnosed terrorism expert, appeared on Fox News uh, to discuss the broader problems of... Uh, of extremists in Europe, and he claimed that non-Muslims do not go to Birmingham in England, uh, which he claimed had become a totally Muslim city. His exact quote was, in Britain, it's not just no-go zones, there were actual cities like Birmingham that are totally Muslim where non-Muslims just simply don't go in. And uh, I, I, was, I was born in Birmingham, Andy. Yeah. You're and, on a watch um, list, John. You're definitely now on a watch list. That's right. I mean, either he's wrong, Andy, or he's right. And I've been a very bad Muslim over the years. <laughs> I might explain why Joe, uh, Joe Biden didn't make it to Paris. It was just... I mean, it's only, what, 300-odd miles from Birmingham? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's within Musliming range, isn't it? <laughs> the uh, Prime Minister, uh, David Cameron, uh, responded uh, saying that this man was a complete idiot arguing, uh, when I heard this, frankly, I choked on my porridge and I thought it must be April Fool's Day. This guy is clearly a complete idiot. Choking on my porridge, Andy, <laughs> just shows he's a man of the people. That sounds like <laughs> the kind of thing someone in a big hat would do in a Dickens novel in a large mansion. <laughs> I choked on my porridge when I heard the child was stuck up the chimney, then I soon forgot him and lit a fire. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, Fox News, in its retraction the next day, um, partially defended themselves, saying that as much as 21% of Birmingham is Muslim. Oh, that's OK, then. And he said, what he said was close. He just said that Birmingham was totally Muslim, <laughs> so perhaps he got to that 100% simply by rounding up from 21. Uh, he, in issuing an apology himself, he actually made it even worse, saying, I have clearly made a terrible error for which I'm deeply sorry. My comments about Birmingham were totally in error, and I'm issuing an apology and correction on my website immediately for having made this comment about the beautiful city of Birmingham. Wrong again, Andy! <laughs> I was born in Birmingham. I love that city, and I'd be first to admit, it is by no means beautiful, Andy. At most, it is 21% beautiful. <laughs> He's, he can't be rounding up from there. <laughs> cybersecurity now, and President Obama gave a major speech this week about cybersecurity, unveiling proposals to strengthen security after a string of attacks against US targets. Uh, Sony Pictures was memorably hacked just before Christmas, revealing everything from bitchy comments about Angelina Jolie to misogynist pay scale evidence concerning Jennifer Lawrence to the upcoming James Bond movie script, which, once again, Andy, does not feature me as a seductive Bond girl. <laughs> Look, I know I'm never going to be Bond, Andy. I've accepted that. That's just how Hollywood works. <laughs> so I've settled on ambitions to become the next best thing, his slightly socially dated piece of arm candy. <laughs> Let me in. Give me a chance. <laughs> uh, the point is, the president argued we have got to stay ahead of those who would do us harm. Cyber threats are an urgent and growing danger. Uh, he said that recent hacks like that of Sony Pictures reminded America of uh, enormous vulnerabilities for us as a nation and for our economy. It was a strong message, Andy, sternly delivered. But embarrassingly, at the exact moment that the president was giving this speech about the importance of online vigilance, the US military's CENTCOM Twitter feed was hacked by people claiming to be ISIS. <laughs> and that's, that's not ideal, Andy. And yet, when you go in so hard on something to do with the internet, you can almost guarantee that someone is going to f*** with you immediately. If he had really thought ahead, the president's speech would have been, cyber threats are an urgent and growing danger. There are enormous vulnerabilities for us as a nation and for our economy. We have to stay ahead of those who would do it. They're hacking me right now, aren't they? They're, they're, they're doing it right this second, aren't they? Mother uh, One of the tweets they sent out while in control of CENTCOM's Twitter for around 30 minutes was, in the name of Allah, the most gracious and most merciful, the cyber caliphate continues... It's cyber jihad. I mean, it's all right, isn't it? It's all right as a message, but, you know, if you're hacking in and you're pranking someone, you feel like you could do better than that. Really, it should have said, ah, we hacked your Twitter account, ah! Or, or maybe, Andy, go with, well, in the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful, ah! We hacked your Twitter account, hashtag, ah! <laughs> Presumably there must have been some conservative TV stations who just assumed it was Barack Obama tweeting himself, weren't they? <laughs> the, this, all I will say, Andy, all I will say on this is that, yes, St. Com's Twitter feed has been hacked, which seems compromising uh, to who knows what extent. I'll just point out, no-one has hacked the Bugle Twitter feed, Andy, and that can only mean <laughs> the Bugle Twitter feed is more secure. And the natural conclusion to that is that the Bugle Twitter feed should take over all US government feeds until further notice. <laughs> that's, I'm happy to that, do that's that. That's just basically one plus one equals three. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm happy to pick up that baton and run with it <laughs> in a series of messages of up to 140 characters long. Oscars build up now, and well, uh, we're waiting for the nominations uh, to come. Is, is Smurfs three up this year, or was it last year? I can't remember. Um, um, time. Well, just, I think it's, they time, should. It's it? probably safest for them just right. to nominate it before it's been made. Oh, right. Andy, that yeah. would be having criminally overlooked <laughs> the last two. <laughs> Sorry, I did mean Smurfs too, but I, I, I just you know they've kind sort of blended into three by now. Even I, I, well, I don't understand. <laughs> what, I mean, it makes sense. The whole system must be corrupt. Otherwise, Van- John Oliver as Vanity Smurf would be the bookie's favourite. <laughs> I think my voice was a bit higher, Andy. Oh, right. oh, that's acting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's acting, basically. Um, so could this finally be the year for the Oscars that a major Hollywood star takes the prize? Um, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Well, we always hear about the biggest awards, uh, best actor, best film, best supporting hoaxer or actor potato potato, flashiest and most gratuitous special effect, worst fashion faux pas. But what about the less glamorous but equally deserving awards, such as least necessary remake? So hotly contested uh, these days. And in particular this year, a lot of attention on the least authentic biopic category. A lot of uh, biopics are striving for this this year including some big-budget productions such as Julius Weezer, an exploration of how Julius Caesar's chronic asthma contributed to his eventual downfall, uh, Eunuch at the Door and I'll Let You In, the story of Dwight Eisenhower's early years as a castrated travelling salesman, Elvis in the 80s, pretty self-explanatory, and Adolf the Magic Turnip. So it'll be very interesting to see which of those comes out on top. New Bugle charity appeal time now, and uh, Buglers, we are launching a charity appeal uh, this week. In the past, we've appealed to you to help save the Bugle. This is um, a a slightly more important uh, cause. Uh, Michelle Carvalho has been a classmate of my daughter for the past three and a half years, and for most of that time, she's been fighting uh, various cancers, uh, lymphoblastic lymphoma in her kidneys, then... Leukemia, that is not acceptable cancer. Pick on someone your own size, no wonder they call you the big C. Uh, Michelle is an absolutely delightful girl. She's had chemotherapy, bone marrow transplants, stem cell treatment, and has managed to stay uh, almost unbelievably cheerful and charming throughout, which I find massively impressive. I still get angry about a dodgy penalty decision in a game of under-11s football I played in more than 30 years ago. Michelle has borne her rather more sizable misfortunes with considerably more grace, albeit that it was clearly never a penalty. Now Michelle uh, is currently in remission but needs to have immunotherapy uh, which uh, she has to have overseas in Germany or the USA. It's not available to her uh, here in Britain. So there are some costs involved. Big costs Buglers. Immunotherapy it turns out does not grow on trees unless those trees are certain hospitals in Germany or the USA and unless you pay those trees for the immunotherapy. So this is where you come in. Um, we are appealing to you, Buglers, uh, to come together to help give Michelle the chance to have this immunotherapy treatment that could save her life. You've helped save this podcast. Now help save one of the podcaster's daughter's friends. Admittedly, that is not the most catchy of charity slogans, but the <laughs> point stands. Um, our SoundCloud page suggests that um, there are hundreds of thousands of you out there for some slightly unaccountable reason. And this is our collective (laughs) chance to do something more than our usual routine of bringing governments crashing to their knees, talking about jet skis and puns. Uh, The fundraising page is gofundme.com slash this hyphen is hyphen Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. Get a pencil 
and write that down or a pen or some chalk or a typewriter or a medieval monk. Just write it down. GoFundMe.com slash this hyphen is hyphen Michelle. I will post links on the uh, Hello Buglers Twitter feed uh, and on the buglepodcast.com, our website. So, f- it, I might even go on the Facebook page for the first time in three years, which I've <laughs> slightly forgotten about and that Chris mostly deals with. So come on, Buglers. Whatever you can give, uh, whatever you want to give, uh, could make a huge difference to uh, my daughter's friend. Go fund me dot com slash this hyphen is hyphen Michelle and let us see if the power of the podcast can make a big difference in a small part of the world. Uh, that is all for this week's Bugle. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen Bugle. And uh, uh, once again, do please, if you can, uh, contribute to uh, Michelle's uh, fundraising. And we will be back next week with Bugle 285. Until then, goodbye. Bye. Hello, Buglers. It's producer Rich here in lieu of producer Chris. Andy's asked me to add the audio from a video on the London Live website. In this, you'll hear Michelle's mother give a description of the situation. Michelle firstly was diagnosed with lymphoblastic lymphoma to both her kidneys, which is very rare. It got up to a point that she was getting up in the morning and she was really tired and saying that she couldn't go to school because she wanted to sleep. I still remember the day, time, and exactly what was said. It was like someone has taken the floor off my feet. And I remember saying, I hugged Michelle's godmother and I said, I didn't ask God to give her to me, but I don't ask him to take her away. Michelle is now suffering from B-cell acute lymphoblastic lymphoma, which is a type of leukemia. So it's in her bloodstream. It's been quite hard, especially when the first time round I said to Michelle, that's it, we've done it. And then she said, Mommy, you've lied to me because it's come back. So now there's no promises. I don't say we've beaten it. We know another transplant, she might not make it out of it. So we need to do something that doesn't involve chemo or radio, that just involves playing around with her cells, which we found the doctors recommend the car trial in America. I've researched into it and it has made a difference to many families where chemotherapy has not. So that's our option now, but that's half a million pounds, which it's ridiculous amount of money. Time is not with us, it's actually against us. For us, it's a lot of money, but there are some people out there that for them, you know, they do have it. I can save her life with that money. I know I can. If you're able to help, the address to visit is gofundme.com slash this hyphen is hyphen Michelle. And that's uh, a double L-E. The link should also be found on the Bugle SoundCloud, Twitter and Facebook. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you you, you must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>